welcome to the Hallmarkies podcast. I'm your host, Lisa, and today I get the amazing honor of interviewing Jenny Baird, author of An Unforgettable Christmas, one of Hallmark Publishing's latest books to come out. So hi, Jenny. Thank you for joining me. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm so thrilled to be here. We're so excited. We love talking to writers and we have been dying to talk about your book because it's so great. So, um, okay. But before I get into all that, because I will just start gushing. Um, the first thing we always like to ask our guests is to formally introduce yourself, let your audience know who you are and tell us a little bit about your journey to become a writer. Oh, sure. Well, my name is Ginny Baird. That's Ginny with a G, G G-I-N-N-Y, as in the nickname for Virginia, Um, Baird, B-A-I-R-D. And I write sweet romance. And I do have this new book out from Hallmark, An Unforgettable Christmas, which was truly a book of my heart. Um, I love the story. And I'm so happy, Lisa, that you love it, too. I will tell you a little bit about my journey. I have written many things over the years. Um, Way, way, way back, I did some contracting work for the State Department, and I was working in El Salvador during the Civil War, which was kind of dicey, and I thought I wanted to write a novel based on that experience or those experiences I had there. So I did, after quite some time, it, it took me a while to get that book out, but I did Um, after a while, and I wrote a spy thriller and then another one. And those came out with a small Australian press many years ago. And uh, under under a different name. um, Over time, I've written different things. Uh, I wrote greeting cards for a company called Rustberry Company. I don't know. Oh my gosh, how fun. Yeah, I don't think they're around today. (laughs) But I did lots of little things here and there. I wrote for a parenting magazine when my kids were little. Um, but I always really had that that storytelling bug where I wanted to tell larger stories. And um, around year 2000, I did, uh, around the time I was doing the spy thrillers, I also sold a romance novel to Kensington Books in New York. And that book, um, I re-released as Ginny Baird later, and also a second book that I'd written for Kensington. And I, I sort of did different things. I did some screenwriting. I had several screenplays optioned. I had an agent. I had a manager. I had all these people swirling around me trying to sell my screenplay. Wow. <laughs> and uh, even though they got optioned, they never made it all the way to movies. And so I thought, gosh, I should do something with these screenplays. I felt like they were my orphan children. I had all these oh, great yeah. characters and stories. <laughs> and I actually took some of those and converted them to my holiday holiday bride series and my summer groom series, which are novella series um, for sale right now on Amazon. Awesome. And I had a great time with that process. And so I sort of got back in to writing, I came out of the screenwriting and back into the novel writing, sort of a full circle journey, mm-hmm. and uh, started selling well online. And I thought, gosh, this is what I'm going to do. And so I did uh, write several books. I have more than 25, maybe more than 30 now. And most recently, my newest releases with Hallmark, uh, An Unforgettable Christmas. And I'm really excited about this story. And I'm thrilled to be here to talk to you about it. Yes. And I just have to tell everybody, I'm very, very grateful to have Jenny on here because y'all for real, I probably, I like attacked her at the Romance Writers Association (laughs) convention in New York City. Um, I was there as a blogger to basically get my hands on all the romance books. And I saw her in the hallway and I kind of thought that was Jenny I kind of thought that was you and then I waited till you got closer so I could read your name tag and when I saw your name tag I did y'all I pounced on her I was like hi <laughs> I'm, just, uh, I'm with the Hallmark spot and yes I so You're I'm like, very You're grateful Jenny. that <laughs> oh my gosh I'm being recognized yeah and I mean it was y'all it was really it wasn't it was an empty because everybody was in sessions and it was just outside of a ballroom and so nobody else was around and I'm so thank you for not taking a restraining order out I mean, so I appreciate that and coming on the podcast. Despite it was my- great. It was great. It was wonderful meeting you. And I'm so glad we connected and we were yes. getting to do this. Yeah. Super. Yeah. Um, okay. So my favorite question to ask writers, um, no matter what, is are you a pantser or a plotter? I find this so fascinating and I love taking a peek behind the process for you guys. So um, yeah. Which one are you? Or are you a combination of both? 
Okay. Well, I'm going to explain these names because my sister, I had my RWA badge <laughs> hanging in my office and my sister came over and she's like, what pants or what is, what is that? It just sounds kind of weird. Uh, for people who don't know, and I, I figure many writers do, but some listeners may not, when a writer refers to themselves or another person as a pantser, it means that you can fly by the seat of your pants when you're writing. You don't really plan everything out in detail. You just sort of go with the flow, you know, just you, you're, you're a pantser. You go by the seat of your pants. So that's what that name comes from. And then the other is a plotter. And that's a little more obvious, right? You're plotting your book, you're writing everything down ahead, you're doing detailed outlines. Um, but for me, personally, I write both ways. And it really depends on whether or not I'm under contract with a publisher, because I've done several books independently, as an independent author, self published them. And with those, what I would do typically would be come up with a jacket blurb, you know, mm -hmm. a few paragraphs. This is the heroine. This is the hero. This is kind of the setup for the story. Sometimes I would go ahead and even commission a cover because I found that really mm -hmm. inspiring to have this cover about, you know, I could see my people. I could imagine my people. And then I would, after getting that little bit set up, I would sort of go with the flow and just see where that story took me. And that was being a pantser for sure. Um, as far as plotting now in selling with publishers, uh, which I've done also uh, both with Hallmark and also with Entangled Publishing, I have a book coming out from them next year um, yes. with, with the publishers. It's a different process. If you're an established author, like I am, where you already have sort of a track record, you can often sell on a proposal. But that does involve plotting because you have mm. to, you know, come up with a complete outline, sometimes depending on the publisher, three chapters or whatever. And so you really need a pretty detailed idea of where the story's going, what the high points are, what the resolution is and, and all that. And so in that regard, I would be more of a plotter in working with a publisher because they want to know what they're buying. Obviously that makes right. a lot of sense. Um, yeah. Yeah. But there's still some pantsing involved, right? Because when you get into a story, <laughs> your characters might surprise you and they often do because they develop their own personalities and sometimes they can be stubborn and you can think you want them to do one thing and they're like, no, no, I've got other ideas. So you kind of, Sometimes even when you're trying to plot, you can get pushed into pantsing a little bit by your characters, but that's fun. That makes a story richer, in my opinion, and more authentic to the characters. So I love it. I really enjoy both ways, plotting and pantsing. Yeah, Th that to me is the best. I love talking to authors, especially when they talk to me about off-page motivations for their characters, because that to me is just... God, it's got to be so fun to know because, you know, as the reader, we only see what you want us to see, but that's not everything that's involved in the story because you have things that are happening in your mind to give the character motivation. And that to me is just the most fascinating part. I just love it. I just love the entire process, reading, reading about reading, like reading about writing, writers, all of it. I just, I'm so in awe of what you guys do. And I thank you because reading's awesome. And if you're not Aww. a reader, join us. Reading's amazing. <laughs> It is amazing. Um, That's a great yeah. escape. Yeah, yeah. It's just so great. Um, so, okay. So you mentioned earlier you have done um, screenplays and it's kind of dovetailing off of this. So does that mean that those serve as outlines for you? Like, is that difficult to change from screenplays to novel writing? How is that process for you? Well, it was real interesting because the screenplays that I was writing, um, they were really sort of sweet romances, sweet romantic comedies, and they were intended for television movies. So they were about, I would say, 90 to max 105 pages long, because a page wow. of a screenplay yeah. is roughly a minute of film time. And so um, those stories I had, you know, with screenwriting, it's very pared down, you don't have big blocks of description or anything, you basically have whether the scene is, you know, an interior or exterior shot. And then you yeah. have maybe a very, a very brief description of something in the scene, if it's really relevant to the plot and needs to be seen by the camera. 
Um, and then you just kind of open in whatever the location is, the living room and so-and-so's house or wherever, outdoor skating rink, you just open in that location. And then you go pretty much with, with the dialogue. And, you know, that's what it is. It's just dialogue, dialogue, dialogue. Um, and then you go to the next scene and it's more dialogue. And with novels, obviously, there's a lot more fill in and setting the scene so the reader can imagine themselves there because they don't have all those great visuals like you do in the movies. And right. so when I took my screenplays and converted them to, um, to the novellas, that really was pretty, it was pretty easy for me because I had the dialogue down. I had, and I literally, I just picked up the dialogue chunks and moved them from, from the <laughs> screenplay to the, you know, to the novel form. And I had that uh, because I thought the dialogue was strong. And then I just built around sort of fleshing out the characters and their personalities and also their internal thoughts, because that's something that you don't get in a screenplay. Um, and that's why so often in film, you have the best buddy or you have the dad or the mom or the confidant or somebody that that person can talk to, because that's a way that you get whatever somebody is thinking about on the screen without doing voiceovers, which not everybody's wild about. So yeah. anyway, um, that makes sense. I've never thought about it that way, but because I'm not a writer, but it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, it was a fun process. And what I did was I knew that, you know, Christmas stories seem very popular. So I had this one screenplay that I really loved called The Christmas Catch. And I thought, hey, you know, um, that would be a fun novella. And it's a sweet, it's a sweet romance It's a sweet story. And I put that out on Amazon and it just sold great gangbusters. And I was like, Ooh, Ooh, what other screenplays do I have that are Christmassy? Oh, wow. So I found, you know, the holiday bride and then I found mistletoe in Maine and it's like, Oh, this is really working for me. So, you know, I just, That's uh, awesome. uh, yeah. So, and then I found my summer groom stories and also made those into eBooks and uh, paperbacks and, it was really fun because I could get those out quickly since I already had the the basis for each story. Right. And, oh, my gosh. I think I converted each of those within about a week's time for each one. And oh, I was working wow. full time then, too. I was a school teacher. Oh my gosh. So I was just doing this because I was just really motivated. I mean, sales are a great motivator. When you see people are, are buying right. something and reading something, <laughs> that means that they they want your product. And that just motivates you to do more. I feel like there's no greater motivation for a writer than feeling like you are reaching an audience. I mean, that's all I've ever wanted yeah. to do with my stories is reach an audience. And so I'm thrilled when I'm able to do that. That makes me, that makes my heart happy. Yeah, <laughs> so. Yay. That's awesome. I love that. Um, okay. So now, so you've done both, you've done self publishing and you've done traditional publishing and now more traditional with, um, because Hallmark Publishing is a traditional publisher. Are you, were you a Hallmark fan going into this? Like, how did you get um, hooked up with them? How did you come to work with them? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm a Hallmark fan. Um, Yay, you're a Hallmarky. Actually, yeah, those early screenplays, I, I, I really was hoping they would become Hallmark movies. I mean, that's Ooh. how my manager and agent, everybody were they're trying to pitch them. Um, and I think a few got looked at and a few, you know, came close, but nothing ever happened. And it, it just, the timing wasn't right, I suppose. But as far as Hallmark, I've always been a fan. I love their Christmas movies, Countdown to Christmas, you know, all their holiday stuff. Their sets are unbelievably beautiful. And I, know. Yeah, I love the, the fact that everything is so uplifting. And I like to write uplifting stories too. So I always felt like the way I wrote or the way I write and my sort of philosophy on writing and storytelling and life really fit well with the Hallmark brand. Mm -hmm. And um, when I heard they had opened a publishing company, I was like, this is amazing. This is what I've been waiting for right? my whole life. <laughs> really, it's genius. Yeah, I don't know who came over. This is genius because I'm, I'm obsessed. Stacey with Donovan. It was her brainchild and it was a wonderful, wonderful brainchild, a wonderful mm -hmm. idea because I think it's just another venue. She's the editorial director there and she right. uh, came up with the idea and she pitched it to Bill Abbott, who is the big CEO of Crown Media. And mm -hmm. um, 
Yeah, I mean, what a great idea. What a great idea to provide another venue for these stories. And now it's not just yes. the ebook, they have print books. I mean, my book's in Barnes and Noble, which is super cool, and audiobook too. So this is wonderful. They started out by taking existing Hallmark movies and converting those to ebooks. Um, and using much the same process I talked about when I converted right. my novellas, you know, from the screenplay. So they took, they did novelizations of some of their movies. And then they also started releasing original fiction, which has a potential to be made into movies later. Um, so that has all been really, really fun. And as soon as I heard they had a publishing company, I was like, oh, my goodness, I need to find a way to, to connect with these You're like, people. this is fate. This is happening. Yeah. Yes. So immediately <laughs> I got on Twitter and, and yeah, I followed everybody. Yeah, I followed yeah. everybody at Hallmark. You know, I was like, oh, I'm so excited about this. Um, and then I found out they were doing this open submissions call. And I thought, that's really excellent. I'm going to send them because I didn't have an agent at that point in time. I had mm -hmm. had one previously. I do have one now. But in that little juncture, I did not have an agent. I was doing a lot of independent publishing. And I thought, wow, this is such a, a great opportunity. And um, Hallmark, I've always wanted to have my stories, you know, available yeah. through Hallmark. What a wonderful way for that to happen, possibly. So they had an open submissions call, and I sent a story, which I thought was really cute and very Hallmarky. Um, <laughs> and but it wasn't quite what they were looking for. I mean, it was very close, and I heard back from Stacy. She really was on the fence about it. It was very close, but it just wasn't quite right. But she really liked my writing. And she really liked my voice and she liked my brand. I guess she had looked at my Ginny Baird stuff online. She's like, Ooh, oh, she looks like a whole that's writer. Awesome. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's me holding up my hand. So um, <laughs> she asked me to send her something else when I had it. And I had the idea for an unforgettable Christmas, which was, guess what? It was a screenplay. It was a screenplay oh. in my treasure <laughs> chest of ideas. <laughs> yes. It, it was one, it was a story I had come up with years ago. Oh my goodness. I think it was 15 years ago, believe it or not. Wow. And, you know, yeah. You wouldn't believe how many writing files I have. It's embarrassing. I just have boxes. I've got these writing like crate, like plastic crates with lids up in the attic. I've got them in my closet, in my office. I've got oh, my filing cabinets, like busting at the seams. The wheel fell off. It's so heavy. <laughs> it just, I, I kind of feel like I that's where I'm headed. One of my daughters writes stories and they're everywhere, everywhere. And I just started collecting them and I've got them in a box. And I feel like at some point I'm going to have boxes and boxes. Of <laughs> yeah, we'll save them. I think it's, yeah. you, you never know. And, and um, especially for writers, I feel like these stories are like gems in a treasure chest. And so I never really feel like a story idea is wasted. I, I just hang on to it. I mean, sometimes it's just not the right time for that story. And um, an unforgettable Christmas, I had originally titled it Second Chance Christmas. And I had written it, like I said, 15 years ago, at, yeah. as a screenplay. <laughs> and it never, I never showed it to anybody. It had not really gone anywhere, but I had this idea of this hard-nosed boss and his accountant um, who was Latina. And I just, I just thought, this is such a great story. You know, I had the idea in my mind. And so when Stacy said, do you have anything else? I was like, well, what do I have that I can, you know, I was trying to think what I could right. come up with quickly. And yeah. I thought, what about, hmm, you know, Hallmark really likes things that are, because they are a movie enterprise, they really like things that are film that are filmable, that, that really mm -hmm. kind of you can imagine on camera, even if it's a book. You know, it's nice to have those kind of moments that right. are very visual. And I thought, wow, you know, a screenplay provides all that. And I was trying to think, what, what, ha what do I have in my treasure chest? And I thought of this story um, with Sam and Angie. And I thought, oh, man, that, that could work. So I sent that to Stacy, and she really 
loved it. And she had me make a few adjustments. You know, we went back and forth on tweaking things. So, so she thought it was just perfect. And then she presented it to her powers that be. And um, it went through and I got a contract offer and the book was scheduled for to release this fall. And oh boy, that was so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, yay, I'm running for Hallmark. <laughs> so that was very, oh my very gosh. That fun. That is amazing. Yeah. And recently you got to go on uh, Home and Family to basically um, promote the book. How was that? Oh my goodness. That was just something. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was like, I felt like Cinderella at the ball, you know, I felt like, wow, oh, awesome. it, it was very surreal in a way being on television and being with those wonderful, I mean, oh my gosh, Debbie and Cameron and Maria yeah. on the set of Home and Family. And I, I can tell you, those people are genuinely so warm and friendly and sweet. And they just worked really hard to make me feel comfortable and included. And it, the set is, you know, it's like a home. It's, I was in the kitchen. We were making, or rather Debbie was I making the Puerto it. Rican recipe. Did you see it? Yeah. She was making I these did. Puerto Rican I watched, recipes. I saw you at the little, um, at the, I was like, she gets to sit at the bar. <laughs> yeah. I was at the breakfast counter. Yeah. I was between Cameron and Maria. It was where we were drinking coquitos and, um, I, Debbie made these Monte Carditos with little butter cookies. And that was really such a thrill. And everybody was so kind. And then we also did a Facebook Live interview after that, so which was on another part of the set. And I was just like, wow, pinch me. I can't believe I'm really here. Gosh. Yeah, it was it was awesome. So fun. That is so fun. Okay. Yeah. So now that we're talking about it, I'm going to go for our listeners. Sorry, we're, we're I feel like we're jumping ahead. Unforgettable Christmas. Tell us a little bit about the book. No spoilers, because I know some of you guys haven't read it yet. And I like to have everybody have a fresh slate. But spoiler alert for me, it's amazing. And you have to read it. Okay. So tell us a little bit about the book. <laughs> okay. An Unforgettable Christmas is a really sweet story about um, Angie, who's the accountant in this jewelry shop and her hard nosed boss, Sam Singleton. And they're, they're a little bit opposite personality. She's very upbeat and optimistic. She has a lot of creative ideas about improving the store and making it really uh, decorated for Christmas. And he he's really wants to be successful and sell well. He um, has designed this entire line of signature diamonds, uh, diamond engagement rings or solitaire engagement rings that he's worked with a jewelry designer in New York to make each engagement ring unique. It's one of a kind. So when somebody gets that ring, is proposed to with that ring. She knows no other woman in the world has it. I just love that idea. And that yeah. <laughs> Sam put all that thought into helping create this line to make his line singular. His last name is Singleton. And, you know, he, he offers these, <laughs> these great, great deals on the diamonds. But it shows that somewhere in there, he does have sort of a romantic side. He hasn't really connected with that very well. And he's isolated. He works, spends all his time working. He's really let his friendships go. He's kind of estranged from his dad. And then he has this accident that happens near the beginning of the book. He slips on the ice and he hits his head and he develops short-term amnesia. And what was so fascinating to me, Lisa, is I did research on amnesia. And what mm -hmm. I learned was that, um, you know, a lot of times we see in movies and books, somebody has amnesia and everything is wiped. They don't know who they are. You know, I mean, I actually, one of my stories, my holiday bride was like that with the, with the female character. And those stories are really fun. They're really fun. People yeah. love them. But what I learned clinically about an amnesia is that typically somebody doesn't lose all their memories. They lose the more recent memories. And it could be right. the last few years. It could be a chunk of years. It could be a couple of decades. It could be a, it could be a lot of time. But generally, right. the very early memories they have, like from childhood, are preserved. Um, that's called um, retrograde amnesia, I believe. And then yes. there's there's another kind, anterior grade, uh, which is you can't you lose your ability to form new memories, and so there are different kinds of amnesia. But 
the kind that Sam has, I decided to let him have some of his childhood memories, which was really intriguing. And also the thing that makes this story different, it gives it a different twist on a typical amnesia story is he's not a stranger coming into town um, and nobody knows who he is. Everybody around him knows who he is, but he's trying to find himself. And it's really interesting in his process of trying to learn what kind of guy he was. He learns all sorts of things that he's not really excited about. He's like, wow, you know, uh, he has this huge, gorgeous chrome and glass condo overlooking the forest and the Blue Ridge Mountains. It's beautiful, but very sterile. And he gets taken in by Angie. She's in a multi-generational generational household, Puerto Rican background with her mom and her grandma and her little boy, Pepe. And they're in a crowded apartment. There's stuff all over the place. I mean, it's not really cluttered, but it's just homey. You know, magnets on the refrigerator, artwork from the little boy, and also the grandmother who's an artist. It's just a very loving, very cozy environment and it's such a contrast to the stark place where Sam lives and when he gets taken into Angie's home as he recovers he starts to see a whole different way of being and living and he connects with her family and he gets really included by her family and of course he's drawn to Angie and she's drawn to him because He's so different from the uptight guy she knew. Sam is, you know, really his authentic self. As we get older, we build all these walls around ourselves, depending on experiences we've had. Some have been good. Some have been negative, And it helps shape our personality. And with Sam, some of the things he'd been through had caused himself to really just kind of close himself off. And in losing his memory, he doesn't have those barriers anymore. So he can be more open and giving and fun loving. And that was a really cool thing for me to be able to build that in for Sam, for him to be able to connect with who he really is inside and, and the kind of person that Angie brings out in him. And she really starts to fall for him so hard. And you know what? He falls for her too, because, you know, I mean, just there's, it's such a great love story. It's a wonderful love story. It I hope really everybody is. goes out and gets the book. It really is. It a really story. is. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you know, just, I, I feel like um, the idea of this kind of story where something happens and you're kind of a forced proximity kind of thing, you know, that's, that's a pretty recognizable trope, but I, just the way the way this was executed the way you did it was just it made sense it was I didn't feel like it was convoluted the way they got together and had to stay together like in terms of his recovery I just everything felt so natural and everything just kind of evolved and um the pacing on this was great I mean y'all y'all just got to read it it's 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 such a great story It, it unfolds so beautifully um so I I Real quick, I just have to ask because I worked in a jewelry store for a few for a few years. I switched careers and my first job was in a jewelry store. And so oh, wow. a lot of these jewelry store scenes brought back so many memories. It was a mom and pop shop and it was just owned by one guy. And it was just that one branch and that was it. And so why did you decide to set like give him that job of a jewelry store owner? Was it was it part of the screenplay originally or, or how did that come about? No, actually, his, it wasn't part of the screenplay. He was in a different business. And I think part of it was this idea of um, making the story beautiful, visually beautiful. I wanted him to be in a place that could be really lovely and um, have those filmable moments, you know, just like something yeah. that people could envision this and it would look really pretty in people's minds and the idea of luxury, he needed to be involved in some kind of area where there was luxury involved and money involved and he, he could build his career. But I thought the jewelry store gave him that, but also gave the romance element because, you know, of the engagement rings and he does these TV commercials for engagement rings. And he's, you know, selling his signature diamonds, singleton signature diamonds. And I just thought that was so cool to have him involved in those finer things and the jewelry things and the romance and the engagement rings and diamonds and have that be his focus. And yet 
he has romance lacking in his own life, you know? So, I mean, yeah, I I just thought that, I thought that was really, (laughs) I thought it was fun. I thought it was a fun business for him and very pretty and very Christmassy. I I could imagine, you know, all the displays of the rubies and the emeralds, the red and green for Christmas, like they have in the storefront window when the book is opening. And yeah, it just... It, with it the reminded snow. me of the store, yeah, that I worked in. Yeah, it was. Oh, that's <laughs> it was great. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, and and I just I like it. It's Sam having all of these very romantic advertisements and just really because it's at one point he talks about how he tried to dig deep and make sure that everything like was very romantic and very season, but then in real life he's just very like closed off and cold. So I thought that was really fun that he was yeah. so invested in having this really really romantic setting, but then in his personal life he was like no no one. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's right. But okay, so speaking of jewelry, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors for this episode, uh, Glamour Jewelry Box. Okay, y'all, let me just say right now that after years of wearing coaching clothes, I'm the worst at dressing myself in uh, grown-up clothes. I mean, I can create outfits, but never know really how to take them to that next level, which is jewelry. But that's where the good folks over at Glamour Jewelry Box come in. Glamour Jewelry Box is an affordable monthly jewelry subscription service that sends you trendy but classic jewelry every month right to your door. Pieces include a necklace, bracelet, and earrings. I mean, they take all of the guesswork out of selecting jewelry by sending me the perfect pieces to enhance my look, whether it's for work or for a night out. And Glamour Jewelry Box is the only jewelry subscription service that lets you customize your collection and keep every single piece you receive. And the best part? You can save $5 off on your first month subscription when you visit GlamourJewelryBox.com and use offer code Hallmarkies during checkout. That's GlamourJewelryBox.com with offer code Hallmarkies. The holidays are just around the corner and there's one gift that thousands of moms have been calling the best gift ever. If you're like me, getting parents that special Christmas gift is something I obsess over every year. I mean, they've done so much for me, even as an adult, that I love showing them how much I appreciate them by getting them gifts that are truly thoughtful. So this year, I'm turning to Skylight Frame. Skylight Frame is a touchscreen photo frame that you can update instantly by email, anything from anywhere. It sets up effortlessly in under 60 seconds. Just plug in, use the touchscreen to connect to your wireless network, and enjoy. Everyone in the family can just email photos to your frame and they will appear in seconds. It has a black frame and a white mat, so it looks like a real photo frame that adds a beautiful touch to your home. Skylight Frame is also a gorgeous 10-inch screen, so you can swipe through photos with your finger and even tap to thank the person who sent you a photo. 100% satisfaction is guaranteed. If you don't love your Skylight, they'll offer you a full refund, and you can even preload it with your favorite photos for a personalized gift. Tens of thousands of families are using Skylight to stay connected. And that's personally why I'm excited to send my parents one of these because we live 1,800 miles apart and I'll be able to send them pictures of my kids instantly from events or even just because like they're just being cute in the living room. (laughs) And now with this special holiday offer, you too can enjoy Skylight Frames. You can get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com and enter code Hallmark. To get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame, just go to skylightframe.com and enter code Hallmark. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com, promo code Hallmark. Back to the story. Um, I, my mother, my mother's family is from Mexico, so I'm half Hispanic. My dad is, my dad's family is, hails from Scotland originally, but I grew up in San Antonio, Texas. And so my day-to-day interactions with my family were all Hispanic members, um, a lot of Spanish speaking, a lot of, you know, traditional Hispanic dishes, you know, all, all of that. So honestly, it was a joy for me to read characters. I know that they're from Puerto Rico, so that's different, but that resembled me. Um, just the little tiny words here and there, the Spanglish that got dropped in reminded me of growing up because everything was little. So like my name is Lisa, but I was called Lisita. Yes. Little Lisa. Yes. Or um my mom's nickname for me was Sissy. And so that sometimes it was Sisita. Just, you know, just little things like that. Or Mijita or so this was 
amazing to read about people who resembled me. And I wanted to ask you, is that important to you in your storytelling? How did that come about? Um, if you want to talk a little bit about that. Yes, yes. Well, that's interesting. Well, there is all the Ita. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. So here's a little secret for your podcast only. I was Rosita <laughs> growing up. <laughs> See? <laughs> uh, and and uh, yeah, yeah. Ginny Barrett is actually, it's a pen name. Um, mm -hmm. And, but I did grow up also like you. I was, uh, my mother was Puerto Rican and then my dad was an Anglo guy and he was from Florida he had a PhD in Spanish and he was really into the culture and everything but the Puerto Rican element comes from my mom's side and um, I did spend many summers there she used to take me home with her when I was growing up so until I was about age I would say 14 even I would go to Puerto Rico and when I was real real little I'd, we'd go a couple times a year we had like aunts there and uncles and cousins and you know all the whole deal the town I grew up in um in the mainland uh, was in North Carolina and we were the really I had the only his no not the only Hispanic, Hispanic <laughs> mom there was one my mother had one friend who was Cuban um, but it was so rare. I mean, I had the mom who had an accent and I had, you know, the house that smelled like this wonderful, these Caribbean flavors were cooking right. and the aromas <laughs> were in the air. And, and so my house was different. You know, we celebrated Three Kings Day, all that. And that was very different from any friends I had in school. I had nobody else in school, uh, in my school who had any kind of really a different ethnic background, you know, um, mm -hmm. um, like Hispanic. And so that was different. And you know, my mom used to talk to me in Spanish and I would answer her in English because I didn't want to be different. And so a lot of that idea worked its way into the book. And one thing that I really like about this story is I, I like the idea that there's sort of a mix of the cultures, because I think that's a lot of what happens in the United States. Mm -hmm. You know, it. I hope that the story connects with people who have a Hispanic background, Latin background, but also uh, every kind of background, different kinds of backgrounds, mm -hmm. because I think the, the point of the story is that we all are sort of a mix of different heritages and cultures, and it sort of comes together in a certain way in Angie's household. And it's very similar to how it was in mine. Um, but I, I think it's just kind of fun for people to see that and see, you know, I, I had a friend, a writer friend tell me one time, she's like, well, she didn't feel like she could write Hispanic books because she was only part Hispanic. And I was like, well, you know, we're all part something. And I think, yeah. you know, it's, it's, I said, it's more people, more people need to write you know, stories, because I, I mean, we're seeing more of this now in the popular culture, different kind of books come out for people who are a blend of different cultures, and they might have, right. you know, uh, an American mom and a Chinese dad or something, they're, you're seeing a lot right. blended stories, because that's what it that's what America is all about is we do have this very mm -hmm rich fabric of all these different cultures that come together. And I think it's, it's okay. I mean, it's authentic for me because this is part of who I am and it's part of how I grew up. And it's really interesting because I think that, you know, I, I kind of felt like I didn't fit. I didn't fit completely in either world. You probably know what I'm saying. Um, I do know exactly what you mean. <laughs> you know, you're, just, you're not, you're not quite here or there, but I think that's why it's good to have these kind of stories because there are many people um, in that in that situation. And you said that you are, and that's why you felt like you connected to this story. And I think that's wonderful. And I'm hoping this story connects with a lot of people on a lot of different levels. Also, just because the the romance of it and the hopeful message yes. behind it, and all the great Christmassy stuff and little Pepe is so cute. He's such a oh, I know. <laughs> He's so fun. cute. Yeah, yeah. Um, so family does play a huge part in this story. Angie lives in a multi generational household, which, um, for me and my culture is basically the norm. Um, you know, growing up, whenever I went to families' houses, there was always either a grandparent or a great grandparent. 
living in the house. And so um, we're now in this house. There's Angie is the mom of Pepe. And then there's Elena and there's Lita. And that's the grandmother and great grandmother. Are these based on anyone in your life or are they just a, you know, a compilation of people or just. Oh, this is real. This is real interesting, Lisa, because like I told you, the screenplay that was the basis for this story, I I wrote that 15 years ago. So when I wrote that Mm -hmm. screenplay, I was really, uh, the characters were very nebulous. They were not anybody in particular. Okay. You know, they were, they were not anybody in particular. I just liked the dynamic of the Mm multi-generations and all that. But I did have all that in the original screenplay. And then when I came back to it, all that time later, um, I, I, you know, I guess when I first wrote it, I was more, my head was maybe more in Angie's head, you know, as the heroine, Mm -hmm. but I, I did not really have it all thought out as much as I did when I came back and I made the book, because with the book, you're doing the internal thoughts and you're really getting into the deeper levels of the characters. And as I began writing, I started realizing that these characters all actually were hitting a lot of really kind of internal notes for me, like the, the daughter, Angie. Okay. She is, um, you know, she's like around 30 more or less, which is about the age of, I have got some daughters who are around 30. So she was kind of like more <laughs> like my daughter's age now. And then the mom who, you know, earlier I would think, well, I was kind of thinking the mom was like more like my mom. And now I feel like I'm more like the mom. I'm more like Elena right. <laughs> because I'm in my <laughs> mid fifties. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. So now I'm kind of like <laughs> Elena. And then the, the grandma, Lita, she definitely, okay, she really most strongly is based on somebody. She's based on my late mom. And I'm going to try not to cry about this because it makes me emotional. But oh my goodness. Yeah, my late mother uh, was uh, Abuelita for her family. And yes. the, everybody called her Abby um, for Abuelita. And she, she had many grandchildren. And she was just such a. Oh, she was such a rock star of a grandmother and a mother, and she had so much spunk and so much spirit. And she began doing artwork in her 80s, believe it or not, and um, did fabulous work. She really painted a lot of butterflies and birds. And you see that with the older character, Lita, the grandma, who's in the story. She is an artist, too, and a very diehard romantic person like my mom was and you know really wants to see Sam and Angie get together um but you know we'll we'll see uh but she yeah so Lita definitely was patterned a lot after my late mom and my mom passed away um about three and a half years ago so oh my gosh so 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 having, having having her in that story it I mean I, it made it a little bit tough for me when I was writing it, because when I realized that this was a tribute to her, when I kind of understood that, and here's a little insider thing, information, the pin, Angie, the heroine, wears a Santa Claus pin oh on her lapel. Yes. My yes. mom gave me that pin many years ago. Okay, now I'm seriously crying. <laughs> because my mom... Was just the kind of person, if you complimented her on something, she'd say, here, take it. You have it. You have it. Yeah. You know, you know, you have yeah. it. And she had this darling Santa Claus pin. And I, oh, gosh, I was oof, it was years ago. I think I was in my 20s. And I said, I love that pin. She said, oh, Rosita, <laughs> Rosita you take yeah. it. <laughs> you take oh it. Gosh. You take it. You have it. And I wear it every Christmas. And so. Um, I put that into my story and it, I mean, it's a little Santa guy. He's, he's made of felt and fabric and he's kind of starting to fall apart, but I still, I've, I've had him forever, right? 30 years. And I still use that pen. And it was so special to me, not, not only because my mom gave me that Santa Claus pen, but because it represented her giving spirit, you know, because I liked it. She wanted me to have it. And that's just the kind of person she was. So I'm really sorry she's not around to see this book. 
Yeah, Jenny, I'm like crying already because now when when she told me that and I think back to all the passages in the book about Lita, oh, I'm like seriously crying right now. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm I got to pull myself scary. together. No, no, pull myself don't, together. Please don't but be sorry. If, if some, something else that's, that's really kind of neat is um, she always believed. <sighs> sorry. Oh, don't she, be sorry. Don't she, be sorry. She and, believed that I was, she would tell her friends, oh, my daughter, she's a writer. She's going to Hollywood. <gasps> she would tell people. She oh, was, my goodness. She was convinced that I was going to go to Hollywood because she knew I was writing screenplays and I was trying to write books. And, oh, there we one oh, of the things I mean, I love this book already, but knowing this makes me love it even more. And honestly, this has already been in shelved in my reread for the season. Yeah. So now when I reread it, this yeah. is going to be even more touching, just knowing that these little yeah. these little tributes are in there. Yeah. Y'all, this yeah. book, y'all got to get it. Yeah. But, but, you know, it's okay. My whole family said she was watching from heaven, and I'm sure she was. Um, so, yeah. so that's, Without a doubt. Yeah. So that's been a really great part of the journey. But yes, I mean, the story's personal. We writers can't help it, even when you don't even know, <laughs> you know, on the surface, it's personal. Things become personal because our characters are like our children, right? I mean, they, they come right. out of us and we nurture them and we help them grow. And, and because they're our children, um, they have some of our DNA, whether we like it or not. So we put the, we put part of ourselves, writers put part of ourselves into our characters. We infuse that. There's something about us that's in there, you know, and sometimes you can see it really clearly. It's really evident on the surface. And sometimes it takes working through something I didn't even know. Like I said, all the nuances of this story that was so personal to me until I got into writing it. And I did, I had to stop a few times because I was getting emotional mm. because I thought, wow, yeah. yeah, I didn't even understand all this, but it, it's a wonderful story. And I feel it so is. honored that I got to write it for Hallmark and that it's out there in the world and it's a joy to share it <laughs> with everybody. So thanks for having me on to talk about it and to break down yeah, crying I'm on your sorry. podcast. <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. But so, okay. So on a lighter note, oh, yes. there good, good. Are, on a lighter note, there are some super, super swoony moments. And usually I'm not a fan of the almost kiss, but the almost kisses in this book are to die for. Aww. They're so swoony. So how were those to write? Were those fun or were you like in your head, like just kiss already? No, they're super fun. They're super fun because you know what? It's like the moment of the romantic kiss. Sometimes it's like the anticipation is almost the best part. You know, when you're just... You're with yes. that somebody and you're just dying for them to kiss you. And it's just like about <laughs> to happen. And you're just like, oh, it's it's just that moment of anticipation is so strong and so, I don't know, overwhelmingly hopeful and happy and, you know, just just wanting that so badly. I love that tension. I love that moment. And so writing those almost kisses was really a lot of fun for me. And um I mean, Hallmark's famous for them, right? They have them in their movies and right. stuff. But yeah, I enjoyed those actually a lot. It was fun. It was fun. Yeah. I mean, and even there are even parts, I'm not going to give anything away, y'all, but there are even parts where it wasn't even an almost kiss. It was just, they ended up being super close to each other. And even those were filled with tension. And I was like, <gasps> yeah. It was, it was like such little tiny swoony moments here and there that weren't even, I think, intentionally supposed to be romantic, but it was just them noticing each other a little bit more. That was just, ooh, those were fun to read. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So um, after this, after um, Unforgettable Christmas, do you have anything new coming out that you can talk about? I don't want to have you say anything that you're not supposed to, okay. but do you have anything new? <laughs> Okay, well, I do have a book coming out um, next year. I have a book at the very end of next year from Entangled Publishing. It's a sweet romantic comedy, and I'm really excited about it. I can't give away details, but I'm in the okay. I'm in the um, editing phase with that now, and I think it's going to be a great book. It's going to be available in bookstores st everywhere, so I'm very excited about that. And um, awesome. 
So that's what I'm working on at the moment. And I also have some really fun ideas that I hope uh, might work with Hallmark. And so we're discussing those and we will see what the future brings. But in the meantime, I hope everybody's going to go out and buy an unforgettable Christmas now that I have cried on the podcast. I was thinking, Lisa, we we went back and forth, and I don't know if your listeners know, but, you know, there is an option. Some of the podcasts are sort of videoed, and some are just voice podcasts. I was thinking, thank goodness we didn't do the video, because my mascara is down to my knees. (laughs) I know, right? I'm glad, because, yeah, I, yes, I was, as you were talking, I was legit like tears <laughs> so yeah but otherwise it would just been us talk, crying on oh, camera oh my gosh um, oh that's so amazing and i'm gonna go ahead and start putting it out there in the universe that i think un- an unforgettable christmas would make an amazing hallmark movie so hallmark if you're listening yes let's get started on that i have some <laughs> ideas for leads so yeah you can always let me know yeah okay. yeah oh um, that would be amazing yeah it, it really did it read it read like a movie I could see it playing out in my head and you know you know when you read you always get ideas of what things look like you know like settings right. and characters and stuff but this entire thing just I mean I could just see the movie in my head and I'm just thinking Hallmark let's go let's make this happen <laughs> this is Christmas all over yeah yes. yeah so. there, there are a lot of beautiful things in there including um the birthday party that you know that, that they do for yes. Sam's dad I mean there, there are just a lot of things that are lovely I mean I just yeah I had so much fun writing those scenes because I could see them too you know I really could it just yeah. really beautiful and all the snow right all the snow in Hopedale all the snow and the lights and the storefront and even the humor part of it because at the beginning when he starts <laughs> when he wakes up in the hospital and can't figure out what's happening that was funny yeah and he's looking at her like who is this? Yeah. <laughs> that, was, is that to me would just play really, yeah, yeah. that to me would Who just play this? really well on screen. Okay. So at the end of our interviews, we usually like to ask our guests what we call the team beat questions, which are fun little questions. And we have two sets. We have a regular team beat and then we have a Christmas. But what I did is I melded the two and made a Christmas tree. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Are you ready? I'm just going to ask you some quick questions. Okay. Real fast. Yes, I am ready. Okay. So, best ice cream flavor? Oh, mint chocolate chip. <gasps> all right. Yep. You and my husband. Oh, yeah. I love yeah. that mint chocolate chip. <laughs> he gets it all the time because he knows I won't eat it. So, he gets it so that way he can just. Yeah. Oh, it it's the same way here. My husband won't touch um, it. That's why I get mint chocolate chip birthday cakes for my birthday because it's all mine. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Um, okay. So, favorite color? Oh, red. Red. Oh, yeah. Christmas. Okay. Yeah. Um, that is, that's good Christmas color. Um, dogs or cats? Oh, I'm, oh. Or you can say both. Both. You can say both. <laughs> you can say both. I have one of each. So, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, what are their names? Or are you not allowed to say? Because, I mean, I know that sometimes be giving out personal information. It's not that personal. It's okay. I can tell okay. you that. I won't tell you my children's names, but I'll tell you. No, no, no. no, no. My, my, uh, my dog is Maggie. Um, she's an oh. English style yellow lab and my cat oh. is Calvin and he is a big old tabby cat, gray tabby, big old. Oh, he, oh, he's a big boy. He's like 18 pounds and, but he's not fat. Oh he's gosh. just like, he's just like a big guy. Yeah. Yeah. And they love, they love being with me. They're my office staff. They hang out in my office all the time. I mean, they are here with me just like so close. They just love that awesome. I'm working at home now. This is a great thing for them. Authors. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So beaches or mountains? Mm, okay. This is another tough one. I love the ocean. <laughs> I love the water, but I love the mountains. I put a lot of mountains in my stories, right? Because this is where Hope yeah. is. I used to live in the western part of Virginia near the mountains. And okay. so that's where I get a lot of those settings from. But now I live in the eastern part, which is closer to the ocean and around a lot of rivers. And I love the water too. So it's it's a really tough call for me. I'd love them both. Um, okay. Yeah. So both. That's fine. Both. Okay. I'm not playing your um, game very well, up. am I? I'm not kidding. <laughs> <laughs> making complications. Um, nah. So dress up or 
lounge around in sweats, sweatpants? Um, mm, I like to lounge around in jeans and a sweater. Me too. Yeah. I just like uh, dressing up is for the birds. Yeah. It, I think it's because I was, I spent so much time in athletics and I always just had coaching clothes that now that I'm in the quote unquote professional world, dressing up is terrible. Yeah. No, I, I like to dress up. I like to dress up, but you know, the whole process sort of exhausts me because I'm really like, yeah. I'm like, people don't believe it sometimes who talk to me, but I really am pretty introverted. So I can go out there and be extroverted and I can dress up and I can do the Christmas parties, but it wipes me out and I enjoy being around yes. other people, but it's just for me, I, I feel like it's really nice to come back and put on jeans and a sweater and chill. That's, right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm super introverted in real life. And so after everything, I have to go home and take like a five hour nap and recharge. <laughs> I'm like, I'm done. Um, okay. So here's where we'll get some Christmassy stuff. Favorite holiday cookie or treat? Ooh. Hmm. Well, I, I'm in the minority here, but I really do like fruitcake. <laughs> you know? Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Favorite Christmas song? Oh, favorite Christmas song. Oh, my goodness. There's so many. Hmm. I know. Well, I like it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Because <laughs> oh, that's fun. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a fun one. Yeah. Um, favorite Christmas movie? Oh, an unforgettable. Um, oh, no. What's it? Um, the one with Jimmy Stewart. Oh, um. It's a wonderful, it's a life. wonderful life. I almost said an unforgettable life. I was like, yeah, because somebody, I had a reviewer say that my book was sort of a blend of that and then the Christmas oh, Carol, yeah. and Christmas Carol, and yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a there's a little bit that. of that in it, but I do I do love that movie. I love Jimmy Stewart. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes, of course. Um, favorite holiday tradition? Oh, the Three Kings Day, which is a Puerto Rican tradition, where the three wise men bring the gifts to the kids on camels and, you know, on the Epiphany, January 6th. That is really special and unique to the Hispanic culture. So, yeah. That, I love that you included that in the book, even though we don't actually get to it because it all kind of happens around well, Christmas. I still Christmas love story, So, so we, don't, love we don't see the Three Kings Day, but they do talk about the, the tradition, which is really nice. Yeah. 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 I love it. Um, okay, so what's a memorable Christmas gift that you've gotten? A memorable Christmas gift? Oh, well, it would have to be my, I want to mention my dog, <laughs> my dog Maggie. <laughs> I love, we got her as a puppy. I got her for Christmas um, eight oh. years ago. We had had some older dogs that had, had passed away that we'd had, you know, when the kids were younger and we were really on the yeah. fence about getting another dog because, uh, well, we at that point, I think we just had my youngest son at home and he was in his first year of high school. And we're like, well, do we really want to start over with another dog? And we sort of went back and forth about it. And I really, really wanted a puppy. I just did. And, uh, oh, she was just like, I guess I was ready for another baby or something because yeah. <laughs> it was so wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> to get that dog and she's such a sweetheart and she's my companion yeah she we take long walks in the it. woods together and that really I've, I've had many wonderful christmas gifts um that was really good when i was a kid though when i was a kid it was like probably a tie between the pink bicycle with the banana seat and the high handle bars yes. and, and the <laughs> talkie barbie doll so <gasps> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I need to think about that next time I have to answer this question. I'll have to think back to kid gifts because that sounds fun yeah. to think about all that. Yeah. Um, okay. So last question. It's the hardest. Oh, boy. So are you ready? I, I think so. Let's try to be. Okay. Favorite Hallmark movie. Oh, my goodness. That is the hardest. And it can be Christmas. It can be non-Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. That one's the hardest because there's so many and there's so many favorites. Yeah. Well, I, you know, Christmas and Evergreen is a great one. Oh, yeah. That was so fun. That's a fun one. Yeah. And I love that that's been turned into a book. Um, mm, yes. By Nancy Nagel. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, that's the first one that comes to mind. I There, there are just too many. Okay. And I know. Yeah. And that's. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
All right. Well, you did it. You passed. Yay. I passed. You win. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. Um, Thank you very, very much for your time and coming on the podcast. We enjoyed having you on. You've been a delight and I would love for people to be able to find you online so they can follow you. So where can people go to like Twitter or Instagram or what, what, what do you have online? Oh, well, I'm everywhere. I am. um, First of all, my website is www.ginnybairdromance.com. So it's G-I-N-N-Y-B-A-I-R-D.com. That's ginnybairdromance.com. And I do have links to my social media from there. I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, and I'm on Instagram. So um, I hope you will look me up, everybody. And I hope you'll read my book. And I hope you'll (laughs) please write to me or leave a review and let me know how you like it. Because this is such a great story. It's a sweet story. It's a book of my heart. I share some really fun Puerto Rican traditions. And um, I hope it makes everybody feel really hopeful and happy because it's a beautiful ending. If I say so myself, I cried. We it all is. know I'm a weeper now. Yeah. <laughs> I cried. No. I cried I did, at no, the I ending. Cried. I cried at the ending because <laughs> I just did. And I, I think that people will, but they were happy tears, happy tears, you know, so. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Although one time I did cry because I was genuinely heartbroken for one of the characters, but then at the end I cried just because it was so sweet. And so, yes, and I cried. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It all worked. Yeah. Out. But, um, okay. So, um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Lisa Faye Co. And you can follow the pod on Twitter at Hallmarkies Pod, on Instagram at Hallmarkies Podcast. And of course, join us on Patreon for as little as $2 a month. You can have access to exclusive content. All right. So thank you very much, Jenny. We loved having you on and wish you all the best and success with this book. And yes, everybody go buy it so that we can talk about it. <laughs> thank you, Lisa. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. All right. Bye. Bye.